My name is Chrissy and welcome to the Return Cart Podcast. We're back from hiatus. Hallelujah. Hello everyone, I am here with my dear friends. Ahoy hoy, this is Tara here. Hi, this is Starla. My name is Charlie Ann Holmberg. And we're here to talk about the book Smoke and Summons <laughs> by Charlie N. Holmberg. So welcome Charlie to the podcast and thank you so much for meeting with me today. Or not meeting well, thank with me. Thank you. Thank you so much for talking with me today. <laughs> no problem. Thanks for talking with me. Excellent. Uh, so we're here to discuss your new book, Smoke and Summon, uh, which recently came out in February. Yes. Can you tell our listeners what your book is about? Uh, yeah, my short pitch for it is that uh, Magical Fidget Spinners meets Pokemon. <laughs> but, uh, I love that so much. Well, thank you. Uh, my longer pitch for it is that, well, it's a, it takes place in this kind of urban, industrialized, polluted city. Mm-hmm. And you have one one of the characters, her name is Sandus, is a vessel for other world monsters. And she has these monsters summoned into her by her master and is used as a weapon for him. And then you have Brone, who is an ex-sewage worker who has a magical device that allows him to be immortal for one minute every day. And after the death of one of her fellow vessels, Sandus makes a run for it and ends up running into Roan, and they become unlikely allies as they try to not only free, flee from Sandus's master, but to stop the ultimate monster that he's trying to summon. Okay, excellent. It's interesting that um, you have this character, Sandus, who can summon a vessel, and these vessels can be summoned one at a time, right? Like, it can't be multiple vessels in one person? Oh, the, the people are the vessels. Oh, sorry. And my, so my they're vessels for the monsters. Yeah, but you can only have one monster per vessel. So Sandus is the vessel for Irith, if I pronounce yes. that correctly. Yes, my version of Rapidash. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was wondering, are all the, and they're called Newman, right? Yes. Well, Newman is singular and Numina is plural. Ah, okay. So are all of them animal-based? They are all nature-based. Mm-hmm. So in later books, you'll see ones like there's one that's a cloud with tentacles, for example. Oh. Or there's um, a whale that has like ferns for fins. So they're all nature-based in one way or another. Okay, that's really awesome. So is there any kind of um, mythology basis to uh, that you were inspired by for for this? Uh, no. <laughs> um, I actually kind of ripped it from the third book I ever finished, where I also had nature-based weird creatures, but it was like a werewolf. They would turn into them at night. So Ooh. I stole the idea from that. That book obviously never published. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's really cool. Um, Thank you. So we have Sandus, who is the slave of this guy called Kazan. Kazan, yeah. Kazan. You can call him Kazan if you want. Sorry. That's fine. <laughs> that's, the pro- that's sometimes the issue with books and not having audio books for her to yes. have that pronunciation. My apologies. Um, no, you can say however you want, because for the reader, it's right. So. Oh, that's really good. Uh, so with Kazan, he has multiple vessels um, that he controls. Um, so he's a pretty big player in the city that you have. Mm -hmm. 
And it's interesting because when Roan comes into play, you don't know how big of a player Kazen is. Mm-hmm. So I guess what was interesting for me is Roan didn't, doesn't really know who Kazen is at the very beginning of this book. He knows Kazen's type. So ah. you have, you have like the mob, right? Cause mm-hmm. like the mafia, everyone knows about that, but you go down like one more level and you have the grafters, which are basically mafia men who use uh, the occult magic to gain their means. So they're like the mafia's mafia. Like they're the, the scum of the city. So he knows who grafters are, but he doesn't know Kazen by name. Okay. And with this occult, we have the opposite of the occult, which is the celestials, the celestial religion. They are Celestia, mm-hmm. okay. and their guard is called the celestials. Okay. So the city's government is tied into this religion pretty heavily. Yeah. And so like basically everybody there is is Celestia in one way or another. Okay. And Roan has a tie into this religion that we learn yeah. later on in this book. Mm-hmm. So Roan would be one of the few kind of non-believers, I guess, in the city? Yes. Okay. That's a really interesting part of this book. And I was wondering, do you have maybe in later books that the corruption that is in this city comes more into play, especially with that religious aspect to it? Oh, most definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so could you tell us a little bit about the kind of inspiration for those tie-ins are how it will play into later on? Uh, not really without giving a major spoiler. Yeah. Like the, thing, the thing that's really interesting with fantasy is that when you're trying to look for like a bad guy, it's so easy, I feel, to make religion bad. Mm-hmm. And generally speaking, I try to make it good just because it is such the easy route to make it bad. Mm-hmm. But... I would like to think the way that I try to handle Silesia is that it's both. Because it, I mean, Sandus, for example, is one of the faithful, even though she's considered blasphemous as far as their religion goes. But she still prays to her God. She still thinks that the angelic, who's the leader of Silesia, can help her, you know. And so I wanted to show, like, you know, there is there is this faith and there is good that can come from this, but... There's also corruption even in Silesia because it's almost a theme for this book. Everything is corrupted. Everything is just going to pot in this dirty city that they live in and that they can't escape. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting also is that with that, with Sandis's belief that she still believes after everything that she's gone through. Mm -hmm. um, And that she does run into people who will help her in that faith. Mm-hmm. as well so i think that's a really good balance for that um i one of the things i noticed about sandus is that she seems to have some some special abilities with her uh spirit in her mm-hmm. and i was wondering if if we're going to see more of that later on with other characters, I don't want to give too much away. <laughs> with other characters having that same kind of bond. Uh-huh. Uh, no, Sandus is special. And she stays special. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And then uh, we have, so there's four, for a vessel to be able to house a spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to have certain, qualifications yes um do we ever get to see whether those qualifications uh 
get interrupted with Sandus or another character? <laughs> yes, in later books. Not giving anything away. That's awesome. Um, you get to see a big one in book three. Okay. Which I'll have a cover of Yale for soon. Yay. <laughs> but yeah, and then you see you get to see more of the vessels definitely in book two as well. Okay. Okay, so jumping off of Sandus back into Roan. Sorry, I'm jumping all over the place, by the way. You're fine. Um, so Roan is a thief, and he started out as a sewage worker. Yes. Um, how do we get to see how exactly he gets into thievery? Because it touches a little bit on that, uh, like how he gets this device that he has, which mm-hmm. kind of leads into him going into thievery. But do we get more background information into the books? And if not, could we get a little bit of background here? Um, you don't get more than what he shares in book one. Uh, but mostly, you know, if you go up to anybody and you say, hey, you for a minute, nothing can hurt you. What would you do? And I actually had in another interview someone asked me this, and oddly enough, I hadn't even thought about it for myself. And I was thinking, if I knew I could be immortal for a minute, I would probably go skydiving or hang gliding because mm. then I feel like I would have a safety net and I would try it, right? Right. I think it'd be fun, but I'm also super paranoid. But there are a lot of people it's like, well, if I couldn't die for a minute, think of all the things I could do. Like, I could go kill this guy I don't like anymore. I can go steal this TV, and if like, I get shot at, it doesn't matter because I can't die. And mm-hmm. that's kind of the, the route that Rome went. He thinks, well, I can make a lot more money if I can do these really dangerous jobs for these rich people. Like, a lot of it is thievery, but not all of it is. Because he'll mention, like, he won't kill people, but he'll deliver people for other people who probably will kill them, but it's not any of his business, right? He just has to deliver the person mm-hmm. or deliver a message. You know, and so he starts making a lot more money because that's the route that he chose to go with this. Because as long as he has this backup net, he can do really dangerous things that other people won't do. And so that's just ultimately the way that he went with it. And I think there is honestly a lot of people who would be who never even would ever considered it in their life that if they know they could get away with it, they would try it. Right. You know, like be interesting, like how, how can I get away with this? You know? And so that's, yeah. So that's how, how Brown's thinking went. Well, and that completely makes sense with, you know, for, for people who would never think of that otherwise, but then given this thing mm-hmm. might very well, because Roan himself is a good person. Like sometimes I think he fights against that, but mm-hmm. <laughs> but ultimately he he cares about other people. Mm-hmm. And I really think it's interesting when he and Sandus team up because Sandus is kind of I don't want to say pure, but she has a very innocence, very much an innocent about her. Yeah. Uh, because of where she's been and what she's been through. So I guess this is this next question is like kind of a chicken or the egg um, scenario is what character came to your mind first and what character did you have inspired for first? Was that uh, Sandis or Roan? You know, I think it was Sandis because originally like the first thing I thought of for this book was the summoning magic. <clears throat> and so it was Sandis first and then Roan followed shortly behind. And I'm not going to lie. My, my daughter was really into Tangled at the time, so there might be a little bit of Flynn Rider in him. <laughs> but, yeah, Roan was second, but yeah, Candace came first. So Roan is a little bit of Flynn Rider? <laughs> a little bit, yes. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> um, sorry. 
just laughing at that image. Now I'm laughing at the fact that he might do like the stare, like flipping hair. So with the other books, are they, um, so your second book, do we have a uh, title for that book yet? Yes, it's called Myths and Mortals, and it comes out April 16th. Excellent. And is that going to continue to be primarily centered around Sandus and Roan, or will we be yes. able to get uh, other yeah, characters' so, point of view? Um, uh, you actually do get a couple other characters' point of view in that one. But uh, yeah, the Numinous series is basically one giant novel that's broken up into three books. So book two starts exactly where book one left off, and book three will start exactly where book two left off. Okay, excellent. And then we see major character development in Sandus throughout this first book. Um, because at the very beginning, she's very apologetic a lot. And uh, she's very grateful for the help that she receives. And later on, we see that she... I, this is going to be kind of lame, but you see the fire rise up in her. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so we get to see that continue in book two? Yes. So Sandus has a growth arc for the entire novel, like the entire series, more so than any other character. It's funny, actually, because book three, I started struggling writing that book about two-thirds of the way through, and I couldn't figure out why. And then I realized that Sandus had just, like, become super flat as a character, and I had to go back and rewrite it to fix it. But, yeah, so she definitely she grows in a, in a different way in book two, and then she grows it. Yeah, you could say in her final way in book three. So who she is at the end of the series will be very different than who she is at the beginning. So going into the world building uh, for this city that they're in, um, this this territory, this country, they have major kind of border rules of, you know, a lot of paperwork going in, to, in and out. Will we be able to see other countries or cities that are around this place? Uh, you get a glimpse of one in the last book. <laughs> Most of like, the entire story takes place in Dresburg. You get to see, in one point of view in book two, you get to see northern Kalingrad. And then oh. you get to see uh, Godovia, which is the, the city, the country right south of Kalingrad in book three. So one of the things that happens in this book is Roan, at the very beginning, ends up being kind of framed and his mother gets put into one of the prisons that are in Dresburg. Mm -hmm. So there's an interesting kind of prisoner's rights policy that gets instated where people can have one visit per prisoner. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell us a little bit more about kind of the thought process or rather what ends up happening with prisoners just in general in this prison of Gurich? Yeah, so... It's interesting because when I was um, originally like I, I had made Dresburg and I was writing the book and I realized that I was like, well, why don't they just leave? Well, why don't they just do this? Why don't they just do this? And I was like, I needed to make this city a lot meaner. And uh, oddly enough, for my book club, um, we had just read The Girl's Seven Names, which is a uh, North, North Korea detector story. <laughs> so uh, there's a little bit of North Korea in uh, Kalingrad. But I really wanted to, to be able to, to tie Roan's hand. And in the first draft, honestly, Roan's story wasn't that strong. And mm -hmm. the whole thing with his mother and his motivation really came out in the second draft. And that's where the prison really comes out. Like, the warden and everything was not in the first draft of the book. And so I really wanted to be able to tie his hand. 
But you have this city, this Strasbourg is the capital of Congress, this big old city that is so full of people and they live in these tiny little spaces. There's trains and everywhere. The buildings are really tall. They slam more things in and like when the work bells ring and they have to do their, their work because almost everybody here works at a factory. Mm-hmm. The streets are just so crowded. There's so many people here and there's so much crime because so many people like are just struggling with poverty. And so that this prison, this massive prison that they have built up really fast and how do you empty a prison that you have to kill off the prisoners. So it's notoriously a high kill prison because these people are corrupt. They're not gonna try to do anything to, you know, uh what's the word I need? Sorry, cold medicine. No worries. Uh rehabilitize, something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. The prisoners, you know, and, and, and help them to be a better part of society. And obviously, they're not going to do anything to, I mean, it's symptoms, right? They're not going to do anything to cure the problem. And so I feel like Derek was not just one way to really um, motivate Roan, but also a way to really show more corruption in the city and, like, to show what they're up against for that. Like, and just like the police force is corrupt and you have mobs and you have the grafters and you have this prison and you meet the warden and you can see just how corrupt the warden is. And yeah, it's just, I really wanted them to have to solve everything on their own. Okay. Um, it's interesting that you brought up the uh, ammunitions fact or the factories that go on. And one of them is an ammunition factory or a gun factory. Mm-hmm. Uh, what time period would this be kind of a similar equivalent of, because there's, there's horses and carriages, um, but then there's uh, rifles and everything. And I know that they, they were in the same time period that we have, too. But was there a specific time period you had in mind when writing this book? Um, you know, uh, very, like, maybe not Industrial Revolution, but just after. Uh, with our time period, you know, kind of between, like, the 1800s and the 1850s, when we, when the editor was going through the book, um, I asked her to flag words that weren't used after, like, 1850. I didn't want to have anything too anachronistic in that. But, yeah, it's about that time. You know, um, partly inspired by North and South by, is it Gaskell? I've seen that that miniseries where everything is just factories. So it's like a thick version of that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And then um, these last questions are just about your writing process. Ew. <laughs> so this is the second series you've written, correct? Yes. The first series being your Paper Magician series. Mm-hmm. A lot of people tend to not know how long novels and series tend to take to write. I think average is like a couple of years uh, to get down. Did you find it easier to get into the flow of writing with the second series uh, more so than the first? Or was it kind of just the same uh, challenges and obstacles? Um, you know, it, it's it's different with every book. So, I mean, it's my second series, but it's definitely not my second set of books because I've written a lot of standalones as well, right. which I prefer because those are easy. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's interesting because Paper Magician is more serial where each book is like its own little story and then they're just like in chronological order. Whereas the Numinous series is one giant book that is cut into, th- into three books, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it was definitely different writing it that way. And with every series I write, this is why I'm a standalone author. For some reason, by the third book, I always hit some kind of bump. 
because I'm not used to staying in a world for that long, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. That makes sense. Some kind of, yeah, because like, my brain's always like moving on to something. Like Even now, like I've already written another book for another series, <laughs> and I'm totally like in that world. So I'm like, okay, wait. Numina, Numina, what did I write in this series? <laughs> you know? So like I said, like one of the big bumps with this one was that, you know, like I had an issue with Sandis, but before I wrote the third book of Numina, I wrote the first book of this other series because I reached a break. Like I can't mentally be in a world that long. I have like writer's ADHD. I can't <laughs> I can't just sit in a world that long. And I struggled with the master magician in Paper Magician too, in part because I was pregnant and I cannot write when I'm pregnant. That is that would be difficult, I would think. <laughs> yeah. Second trimester I can, but first and third trimester my brain just shuts off. <laughs> so yeah, so it's definitely interesting. I did have to take a break from it. And um especially being with uh, Amazon as a publisher these books come out super fast. All three are coming out within the same year. So I had a year to write them as well. But yeah, that admittedly that uh, was very surprising to me because normally when you have a series, you have um, a book that comes out in one year and then the next one will uh, come out either the next year or two years after that, sometimes longer than that. So this one you have, one came out in February, uh, one's coming out in April, and do we have a coming out date for the third book? Yes, third book is September 17th. So all this within about three months or two months of each other? Yeah, well, the first two I think are a little closer together. But yeah. yeah, and the Paper Magician series came out that way too. Granted, those books are also shorter than these books. Yeah. But yeah, and you know, I I actually like it. I don't have any other hobbies or challenges. I really just sit in my in my basement and I write. And so I like not having to wait for them to come out. But also as a reader, I hate waiting a year between books. Because yeah. if you finish the book and you're just, you're just angry and grumpy that you can't read the next one, but then a year later, like all that passion you had for that book is kind of plain. And so you don't care as much about the second book, you know? Yeah, and no. It's frustrating. Yeah, that... that- does tend to be really frustrating, especially if you have um, a next book in a series that just hasn't come out uh, and it's been pushed back because of whatever reasons. Uh, sometimes that can be really frustrating for readers. So this yeah. is so this is a very great way to, I think, introduce a series is that one right after the other. Yeah, it works out for me and hopefully it works out for the readers, especially because book one and book two and now in cliffhangers. And that makes people very angry, as I have learned from reviews. <laughs> yes, there was a big cliffhanger. I was like, well, well wait, what happens? <laughs> I was like, it's probably going to be two months. <laughs> I was like, oh, when's April again? <laughs> okay, and then with the last question for your writing process, um, this tends to come up, especially if people are really new into writing and trying to get their very first draft done, is the question comes up of, do you uh, outline heavily your works or do you kind of fly by the seat of your pants? I am very much an outliner. I do not know how pantsers write books. But <laughs> <laughs> I outline everything. I storyboard on my uh, wall with post-it notes and then I, I make an outline with a bunch of notes in it. I mean, not like not every little detail. A lot of times like I know a few details about my characters, but then who they really are will come out as I'm writing them. Like, I remember when I first started wrote Rowan's first chapter, I was like, oh, 
I guess you're this way, and that's not what I was intending. <laughs> you know, so, like, those kind of things, they do definitely come out as you write, but I'm definitely a heavy outliner. I can't write without one. Okay, that's awesome. I've seen some uh, authors say that they just fly by the seat of their pants, and that's an interesting way to go about it as well. And then I see people who say that they heavily outline as well. Yeah, when you when you fly by the seat of the, your pants, though, you have to revise more. And my mm. bandwidth for revisions is not very big. <laughs> <laughs> so I definitely can't. Okay. Well, I want to thank you once again for talking with me today and for uh, telling me more about Smoke and Summons, or at least the things that I was interested in for this book. I can't wait until the second one comes out because it did end on a cliffhanger. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> thank it's okay. you so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very, very much. All right. So we talked with Charlie and Holmberg about her book and. Now we're going to do the review. Tara, if you can read out to us the synopsis. Smoke and Summons, Charlie N. Holmberg. As a human vessel for an ancient spirit, Sandus lives no ordinary life. At the command of her master, she can be transformed against her will into his weapon, a raging monster summoned to do his bidding. Unlike other vessels, Sandus can host extremely powerful spirits, but hosting such creatures can be fatal. To stay alive, she must run, and in a city fueled by smoke and corruption, she finds a surprising ally. A cunning thief for hire, Roan, owns a rare device that grants him immortality for one minute every day. A unique advantage that will come in handy in Sandus's fight for freedom. But Sandus's master knows how powerful she is. He's determined to get her back, and he has the manpower to find her wherever she runs. Now to outwit her pursuers, Sandus must put all her trust in Roan and his immortal device, for her master has summoned more than mere men to hunt her down. Dun, dun, dun. All right, so how we're going to do this review is let's talk about the things we liked. Uh, there's so much to like about this book. Um, it's got a really good plot, really nice characters, a little flair of... of religious and corruption within the city you have a balance of power it was a pretty interesting read yeah yeah i think so too there was a lot of elements that i liked uh like i like female leads so check uh, it was kind of dystopian which i was surprised about but i also like that fantasy summoning cool spirits tattoos believable chemistry between the main characters i really liked that too so i really liked it yeah, I think what the setting, what I really liked was it seemed to be at the tail beginnings of the Industrial Revolution. So where we haven't gotten cars yet or anything, there's still horse and carriages, but we still have guns, <laughs> right? Yeah, guns and huge factories and you have that Industrial Revolution type thing going on. I mean, at one point, uh, the city is even... There's a scene where they describe rain falling on the city and it being called, I think it was liquid sludge because of all the layers of pollution and smoke that it would have to pass through in order to like really filter out any of the, the harmful things that were naturally in the air. So you kind of get that gritty London 1880s, 1890s industrial revolution feel when you like hear them talking about the guns and the factories and the cotton and and everything. It's it's pretty cool yeah i i particularly like the feel that 
Dresberg is this kind of hellish place because it seems to tie even more into those kind of religious themes that we get. At least that's what I took from it. Yeah, I mean, there's at one point in the book, they even talk about um, a religious procession that takes place daily throughout the city with people coming from far and near to make up a, a pilgrimage to the lily tower i believe is what it's called um and so you get kind of that element there but even upon entering the lily tower you still see a little bit of the corruption with how things are are handled um between the priests and and other elements and i won't touch on that too much just because there are spoilers there but you do get to see an interplay between um the corruption with officials the corruption with um well, maybe not necessarily Hold the corruption. Hold on one minute. Babe, we can hear that. <laughs> we can hear that. Yeah. Sneak it! Starla's dying. Starla's dying because of you. I, I was trying to talk over I was like, no, I know. Tara, you're doing such a good job. And then all of a sudden, super me boy. Mother. <laughs> take four and a half <laughs> i'm wondering should we just start at the beginning <laughs> probably <laughs> i forgot where we were at um i think we were on that dresberg seems like this hellish place and we're on that so yes dresberg definitely has this white and dark comparison that is featured highly throughout the novel um, you see it with the corruption when uh, Rowan tries to visit his mother um, and he's basically having to bribe his way to do that. Um, you see it even a little bit with uh, how the celestial, um, I'm forgetting, forgive me, uh, the actual name of the title of the head priest or head minister. Um, the angelic, I think. The angelic. Yeah, angelic. Uh, you you kind of see that where um, there's a little bit of interplay between the characters and the angelic during one scene. And again, I won't go into details because it does provide spoilers, but um, you can kind of see the humanization of of the characters and get background on their lives that kind of just fuels and pushes the plot forward, which is awesome. It's always awesome when that happens in a novel. Oh, yeah. yeah I definitely. thought it was interesting that they talked about how people really wanted to leave Dresberg, but like you can't like they make it so difficult to leave. And I think it's a good point in this novel, because often in dystopian fictions, I'm like, well, why don't these people just leave? Like if it's so bad there, why don't you just go away? But they the author makes it a point to talk about about how hard it is to get out of the city. Yeah. A lifetimes of men's like a lifetime of men's salary saving is I think kind of how they describe it. It's like it's so much money mm-hmm. that you can't even make it in a lifetime to like make yourself leave. Like Yeah, and I like how she ties that into that whole corruption scheme of the city is that one of the reasons why that is is because people want, you know, power in that city and in order to have power over people you need people, right? So I like that aspect of it. Now, I do want to say something about characters, because normally I'm a sucker for soft characters who are innocent. But my favorite character of this whole novel was Roan. I think he stole that scene, stole all the scenes. Yeah, uh, I kind of have to agree with that. I wanted and I do like Sandus. I do. But 
she she was a little too much of a Mary Jane for me. Like okay. she she had all of those aspects, and at one point you see her take strength. You see her take the lead and actually do something to help her and Ron out. But it takes quite a bit of time for her to like really build up that confidence to be like, I can do this. And it's not really towards the end of the novel to where she actually acts on her own mm-hmm. and tries to take charge of her destiny instead of seeking other people to make it happen for her. Well, and I just like Ron because he is snarky, but he's very ambitious and charismatic all at the same time. I love the interplay between him and his mother throughout the story. Mm-hmm. That was, it was very sweet. It was very sweet. Like reading it, you could feel it. I mean, there was a couple of times when reading his scenes, uh, I mean, his scenes made me much more emotional than some of Sandus's scenes. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. with Sandus, she just kind of, and it, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but she had become so accustomed to her lifestyle mm-hmm. that she just kind of accepted it for fact. There was no questioning it. This was as good as it was going to get. And she was happy with as good as it was going to get. Whereas Rowan was like pushing to leave Dresden, uh, Dresdberg, sorry, Dresden. Dresden. Another yeah, novel. Not the wizard, but. Yeah, another novel. <laughs> um, uh, but wanting to leave Dresdberg. And the entire time, like his story is focused on him making enough money to like take him and his mom out of out of this country. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Sandis, it's just finding the person she's trying to find. Right. Trying to escape that life yeah. that she had. Mm-hmm. Which still isn't yeah. a bad thing. It it was a good character interplay, and I think pairing her with Roan and pairing Roan with her really made it likable and lovable. Mm-hmm. Because you had that strong male um, character who was ambitious and snarky. You had the softer, sweeter, kind of naive girl that kind of needed that helping hand. And you even had the uh, kind of snarky, you know, kung fu like master. Uh, who kind of helps both of them out during the novel at one point. But it, it had a lot of very interesting characters. I mean, even yeah. even the ne'er-do-well, you know, the, the, evil ling, the evil ringleader was still a character that I liked the scenes that he was in. I really enjoyed reading them because I was like, wow, man, evil, <laughs> evil incarnate, you know, uh, couple of scenes i like i actually got chills because i was thinking wow if i was her i would be scared out of my gore not for myself but like for what everyone else around me is going to go through because i disobeyed you Mm -hmm. so i mean it was it was pretty cool yeah i think for me sandus wasn't who i thought she would be and that's not the fault of the book or the author but usually i feel like in this type of genre the female lead is like the strong-willed, stoic, angry, wisecracking kind of person. So I started the book with that in mind. And I was like, oh, no, this is not this person. So it kind of took me a minute to adjust a little bit. She's Mm -hmm. a little more, like you said, gentle, more caring. She doesn't really start off with any fighting or survival ability, which is why I think pairing up with Roan is so important. Like it makes their mm, relationship work. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's also surprisingly religious, which also works because of what has been done to her that kind of uh, goes against her faith so it makes for like an interesting internal conflict but i liked her she does apologize a lot though yes <laughs> yeah. there's quite a lot of apology there yeah i think even roan calls her out on it yeah a lot. he's like why well, I, at one point in time he even asked her like why do you keep thanking me mm-hmm. and she's like 
because you i mean that's that was literally like what i took from that was it was it was because she was grateful that anyone was showing kindness to her like that's how much deprivation she had had in her life Mm -hmm. so anyone showing her kind kindness including the demon that is kind of like possessing her the numia Aerith. yeah the newman Newman. and yeah uh the newman that she has is Aerith. yes I mean, she even describes that as a love relationship, a family relationship at one point in time. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, she was just desperate for any type of kindness shown towards her. Mm-hmm. So I kind of want that expanded on to like, mm-hmm. if you get her perspective a little more on it and you kind of delve into like past scenarios, maybe, maybe in the future novels, I'm not sure. I haven't yeah. gotten that far, but. Well, and I, I do like the, um, contrast between her and Roan in personality because it like it's I do love snarky sarcastic characters but sometimes when you have like too many of them in one novel like you need balance um, yeah everything becomes a quippy one liner yeah exactly yep. and they like that's not how people talk but this <laughs> uh, this actually felt uh, like how people talk like there's different personalities and then you have the one who keeps apologizing and the one who's telling her you need to stop apologizing <laughs> I was like that reminds me of me and my work <laughs> well even like like how they meet it, it's not kind of it, it it it's quite literally boy sees girl boy wants girl and so he like comes up and is like willing to wine and dine her and buy her a meal and like he doesn't even you know he thinks it's nothing more than maybe maybe a one night stand or something and it turns into an epic adventure where mm-hmm. they're trying to save each other's lives and I, I will admit I loved that scene where he, he's flirting really hard and then she, <laughs> like she steals his stuff yes runs. that is that and then he's like she's like thief! sorry gotta go <laughs> <laughs> and he's like the irony of this thief I know know. he's like a master class thief and he's like screaming thief in in the street. Uh oh. Oh, I don't know if that's an uh oh or a. Starla is still there. Yeah, I still still hear her voice. (laughs) It's me. Technical difficulties. It's me, a Starla. (laughs) Oh no. Oh, there there we go. Okay, sorry. Yay. I just couldn't see your pretty face. Oh no. <laughs> okay, so let's go into the things that we didn't particularly care for. The angelic just really just he oh. Oh, for you it was the angelic. Oh, it was the angelic hardcore for me. Like that entire scene, like just uh I mean, because it's again, like you can understand the interplay in the background, and she did a really good job of setting it up so you got why the mm-hmm. characters were feeling that way, and you got even why the angelic was feeling that way. But at the same time, you're kind of like, come on, man. So he's understandable as a character. You just didn't like him as a person. Exactly. It was. It, I liked his character. I just it made me not like him as as a person, and that says something. Like when you can get me to not like a character in a novel because there are stupid person or a mean person then you know you've done your good you've done a good job writing mm-hmm. you've invested me into the characters um also I, like the ending like i said mm-hmm. i i kind of ex- starla mentioned it i kind of expected a little more build up oh crap that's all right let's start over okay i can mention it now <laughs> yeah starla can mention it now 
Oops. Tara forgot what what no, part of these conversations we were you having. Know, that's the thing about these. Like, <laughs> we talked about it before, and then also we're like, oh shit. <laughs> we talked about it, because not in the actual episode. Fun. Yeah. So let, let's let's try this again. Um, no worries. So my only real complaint with the novel was it was a little lackluster at the end. And that's not to say that it didn't have a good ending. It's just I still kind of wanted Sandus to be like, you know, strong willed. I'm going to make everything happen and not need someone to come in and like you know, play the hero in any way, shape or form. Um, again, we're not going to give it spoilers, but I just wanted her to be that strong female lead at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm hoping that maybe in the next book it will. I mean, she's kind of heading in that direction. And you felt a little bit that way too, Star, right? Yeah, I felt like uh, the ending was mm, like, I feel like this is the prelude to what I thought the ending would be. Like, uh, like Tara said, I wanted there, I felt like there was this huge buildup and I wanted something really epic to happen and it just kind of didn't get there for me. And it ended a bit on a cliffhanger, so... I mean, it makes me really excited for the next books, but I kind of wanted a little bit more. See, I think this is one of the few times that I'm in disagreement with you, too, is that I liked the ending. And mainly because I think that with if, if I know that it's a series that I expect something cliffhangery at the end. But for me, I actually liked that she actually started yelling at people at the end. I was like, finally, here we are. Right. So for me, I like the end. My biggest issue with this book and it's not really an issue like that makes it sound like so like but rather um the thing that i kind of have felt lustered was uh pretty much the middle part like i love the beginning because i thought it was so strong and then i liked the ending but in the middle when they're doing the run and stop run and stop run and fight run and stop run and fight run and hide (laughs) right so it just felt too much like okay we keep wanting to get to that climax point but for some reason, they keep escaping for whatever. It just felt like too much running for me. Yeah, As- I agree. It made me tired. Like, I felt tired. Yeah. Well, not only that, but like... Yeah, you- go on, Sarah. I'm sorry. I know, you, you want the characters to rest and to be able to, like, be at ease. And they had moments of that where, you know, they, like, cooked and did some laundry and had conversations. But it never seemed long enough you know before they got Mm -hmm. discovered again yeah it it didn't feel realistic in that sense because if if the if the the city is being combed like it was described in the novel several times would they really have had a chance to rest like Mm -hmm. or would it just been all running and all fighting like constantly yeah that's what i got too because if the villain was so well connected in the city then it's understandable that everybody would be looking for them and there wouldn't be any rest so yeah and really and, it was like the reality the, of the situation yeah and really it was like the same characters they kept running into yeah yeah that was the surprising part for me um it kind of felt like there could have been a little more interplay with the scarlets and the mobsmen because they're often thrown in the scenes but only a few times in the novel are they really like forefronted as the like the evil guys that are going to capture you and like mm-hmm. take you in um, I think with the Scarlets, it happens once. They they hint about it more than once, but really you only get to see the interaction with mm-hmm. the Scarlets once. Right. And, you know, I still like the writing bits of it. Like, she, it's very 
well crafted. It just wasn't to my taste of that kind of pacing, that stop and go pace. And I did kind of want, like you were saying, Tara, a little bit more about the Scarlets coming into play and how the mob kind of comes into play to to really kind of up the ante because it felt too much like it's just these three people looking for them in a city and they keep running into them. Yeah, especially a city described oh, as being... luck, it seemed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it just kind of rubbed a little against the grain mm-hmm. for like, either you have this super well-connected, like, ultimate ringleader who like has everyone in their pocket or you don't and it is just kind of by chance Mm -hmm. but it happened way too much to just be coincidence right so and um but at the end they kind of throw that into question too because you find out that that evil ringleader um was basically lying to sandis the entire time about most of everything Mm mm-hmm which, I mean, again, plays to his character, and I love the character. Uh, but mm. you you have to kind of wonder, like, was he really connected? Was it really just by chance? Like, because at that point, you're kind of like, what do I believe and what don't I believe? Mm-hmm. Which, sure. again, also plays nicely to that character, because I hope they do, you know. Right. I hope we do see that character sometime down the road again. If not, that's also cool. But mm. um, it would kind of tie things up in a nice little package for me. Right, right. Yes. I will say the chase scenes at least showed us different parts of the city. Like we got to see many different elements of the city that maybe we couldn't have seen otherwise. From libraries to banks to the sewers to the Lily Tower. Yeah, I love the the pilgrimage to the Lily Tower. Oh, yeah. Well, and I did think, you know, even though the chase scenes were kind of exhausting for me, at the very least, she was pretty creative in getting them out of it. Yeah, she was. Yes. It wasn't ever, I didn't ever feel cheated that they got out of it just by this happenstance. Like, it felt like they worked for it and that they deserved it because they worked so hard. Except for once. I can only, once. And it was the scene where, and again, I'm not going to give everything away, but you have Roan fleeing and Sandus getting captured again. Oh, yeah. uh Uh-huh. In that, that particular instance, like, you can kind of get the background that's going on by reading um, what was going on. But at the same time, you're like, how, if they were trying to, like, really get him, how did he get away? Especially with, like, right, uh-huh. all of this going on. Um, and it becomes apparent, like, later on, just because of what goes on, that it, he wasn't really meant to get away right Mm -hmm. um but during the point in time like that question kept like popping up as i'm reading i'm like how is he getting like how if like they planned this Mm -hmm. how um but again it it kind of leads to that coincidental type of thing versus him just being like this master kingpin where he has everyone in the back of their pocket Mm -hmm. so i i kind of like that too okay excellent all right so Um, now oh sorry go ahead I was going to say, without getting into spoilers, how did you feel about the twists at the end of the book? Did you feel like you were surprised or uh, was this with like, ah, uh, the okay. main head poncho guy? Yeah. yeah. I kind of expected it. Um, and the it, person she was looking for. Yeah. Oh, with the person that she was looking for. Yeah. I kind of expected it like half halfway in. I kind of knew that that was going to happen. Um, I, okay. I like that she went that direction. But if you're looking for a true surprise, um, then I that that's not going to be a true surprise. I don't think. I I think that yeah. if you pay attention to kind of 
what kind of where you've where she found information and how she found it, then you're going to realize that guess what? It's it's not really a surprise. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, more of the surprises kind of happened with how they um, talked about the vessels themselves. I mean, numerous times in the book, they mentioned scarring, virginity, piercings, these types of things. They even go so far as to mention what can and cannot be done as punishment to the vessels because otherwise it makes them weaker and it could kill the vessel or they not summon properly or however it can go down. Um, So there was a lot of questions for me on that, like, uh, especially when certain actions happen in the book. I'm just kind of like, doesn't that ruin Sandus mm-hmm. as a vessel mm-hmm. now? Like, is she like, I mean, and uh, the, like the whole virginity thing came up multiple times in the book because mm-hmm. it was one of those things that just kept happening, especially with, um, I believe the the character's name was Galt, Galt, mm-hmm. um, the that character like kind of really was interested in her as a woman um Mm. and it was kind of hinted at but never really like gone into very very much Mm -hmm. so to get a little bit of background information on like the vessels themselves and like how one meets the qualifications for a vessel like how they're they're even discovered like is there's this shining you know cosmic karmic beacon like over them like an aura like well and i'm wondering which qualification is getting tested like because the author says she's it's gonna be tested in like the third book or something like that i think i know which one it's gonna be (laughs) yeah yeah it it does make some conflict yeah (laughs) oh for sure oh for sure oh for sure (laughs) <laughs> all right so now let's get into kind of overall uh thoughts and um whether or not you guys would recommend this book i definitely recommend it um for a dystopian book it made me leave feeling happy that usually doesn't happen with uh dystopian novels for me i usually i feel at the end of one you know like i've just come off watching a new segment it's kind of like well this is the gritty truth of this reality um it's still enjoyable but it doesn't take me to that happy place it just takes me to a very real place and this book kind of just made me feel happy overall there was a lot of really happy moments there was a few sad ones and then there were some where you're just like oh i don't like you but again that speaks to the the great writing that went into the novel and i'm definitely looking forward to reading the second book yeah, I agree with Tara. Uh, I would definitely recommend this book. It was very well written, uh, very easy to read. Um, never read any. Actually, read it. I think maybe in a day or two because I couldn't yeah, get it down. Yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh shoot, I've already finished. Um, no, yeah, and also like Tara, I'm very excited to see what's next. I feel like there were a lot of mysteries or things that weren't fully talked about or explored, like mm, the different kinds of spirits that can be summoned. So I want to see that more in future books. And the next one's coming out next month. Yeah. So all three of the books are coming out in a single year, which I think is fantastic for a series. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that works out so well. Like I think it's April and then what, September, I think is what the author told me. That's great. Oh, yeah, yeah. I like not having to wait so long. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And so I think that's one of the great things that she's paired kind of with Amazon, like 
I'm not even going to get into that debate of whether or not that's <laughs> how great that is. That's a different podcast. Yeah, that's a different podcast <laughs> on a different day. But I do think that that's, I wish more publishers would kind of go that route of have series already completed. And it's this is not me jumping on authors who don't have their series completed. By all means, I understand that it takes a long time to write and plan out books and by all means, this is not me trying to say hurry up to any author whatsoever, but it is kind of nice to have a series that's going to be completed, going to be done, and it's one right after the other. Yeah, I mean, to be able to to have it coming out instead of waiting years sometimes for the following novel, yeah, waiting months, um, especially as an impatient fan, is always right. nice. Um, like Chrissy said, uh, never want to rush an author. We want you guys to produce and give us your best writing possible. I mm-hmm. mean, that's why we do this. We love to to read what you put out. Yeah. Um, but it is nice to to have that happen every now and then. It's kind of like Christmas in July. Really. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> but, um, but I I too would recommend this book. I I really feel like, especially uh, the second book, since we have some of the things that we had kind of wished for in the first book, I have a feeling it'll be in the second book. Um, yeah. Like the strength that Sandus will show, I have a feeling will be in the second book far more heavily. And I like that that's going to happen. So yeah, I I am looking forward to, uh, to the next series. I'm especially, I'm actually really looking forward to the third book because I want to know what qualification <laughs> and we actually talked about this um, at length before the show is there's so for those of you who are wondering what these qualifications are f- to be a vessel, you have to meet certain requirements in order to house these kind of Newman slash demon ish peeps. Right. And one a couple of the qualifications are you have to not have marks on your body other than I guess the tattoos are scribes that allow the demon to enter that body or Newman to enter that body and then um, there's one that you have to be a virgin and we were talking about you know do, how, what line does that skirt what kind like, <laughs> like, yeah, yes. like can you hold hands can you kiss <laughs> what's going on here <laughs> because on the inside we're 12 so you all know <laughs> the immaturity came out quick well, and even in the novel, there's certain things that kind of happen and you kind of question this because you've mm-hmm. been told, oh, well, you need this and you need that. It's like, well, how does. Yeah. How does it exactly work with um, some of like the names on the scribes? Like if you mess with the scribe, does like the tattoo and you mess that part up? Is that mean it's completely gone because that comes up? And it's it's very interesting, uh, like if you can squirt, skirt the uh, qualifications and see, my mind's already in different places. I said squirt. And squirt, and squirt. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. It's all right. No. Chrissy just went there full shame on herself. You know, She's I, like, there it is. I have no more shame in this world. <laughs> <laughs> like I once said twerk instead of twor- torque. So, you know. Yes, yes. These things keep happening There to are me. numerous things that we're questioning. <laughs> I'm like, let's start a podcast so I can just mispronounce shit all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. My goodness. My goodness gracious. It's still a fantastic novel. Yeah, still a great book. I think a really well-crafted uh, fantasy novel, and especially one I, I've been seeing more fantasy novels have like guns and that kind of thing more, uh, I don't want to say modern day, but modern day weapons 
Uh, that's the only thing that's I could. Very refreshing. Yeah, instead of it has to be bows and arrows. Like, no, it really doesn't. Like, especially if you do have this kind of like steampunk ish. Yeah, very fantasy. steampunk. Mm-hmm. So it like sometimes it feels too much. Like some fantasies that are set around this time, like mid eighteen hundreds ish, don't really take into consideration that there are things like cannons or gunpowder or anything like that. But this is a little bit refreshing because it has that in there. By both, you had mm-hmm. the magic element the occultish it's even called the mm-hmm. occult in in yeah. in the novel um and then you have the modern day scientific technology and the combination of both of those at the same time was fantastically done yeah because not always i mean yeah. sometimes it comes off a little out there and you're just kind of like did we go to the jetsons yeah. are we in the flintstones I- like is this jetsons meets the flintstones but I didn't really get that feeling with with this book. It was it was a nice pairing. Mm-hmm. It did it well. And can I can I say one of the things that I liked about the book was the use of restaurant menus. This is so strange, but like when they went to the restaurant in the beginning, they actually had a menu for them to look at. And yes. then later on, she's digging yes. through someone's drawer, and there was like a takeout menu from yeah. a restaurant. And I'm like, this makes total sense. Exactly. Why <laughs> But you never see it ever mentioned. I don't know. I was just like, oh. It's like, yeah. finally, fantasy is catching up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. It was a small detail that I was just like, okay. Well, well, made, yeah. It made it believable, right? Yeah. Will the delivery men get a tip now? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if someone were to rummage through my desk drawer, they'd probably find a bunch of Chinese menus and stuff in there. So, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that. <laughs> no, it, it made it so refreshing that these things that, you know, don't have to be left out of fantasy. I feel like too many times people are like, no, it needs to be in a medieval era. No, it really doesn't. Like you can Elves have fantasy. and orcs and dwarves, oh my. Yeah, like, and you really only see kind of um, the modern world go into this fantasy realm if there's a bit of humor in the novels. That's what I feel, at least. I mean, I'm sure there's books that, mm. that a lot transcend of times that. It is like sci-fi fantasy uh, mm-hmm. So it kind of it inter you know yeah it it kind of interplays in each other but for me it just feels like a lot of books that have that kind of modern element into it tend to be on more on the humorous side like I think of Terry Pratchett uh, he kind of put into those modern aspects into his novels uh, Terry Pratchett is just whereas so good. like there's plenty of high fantasy I can think of that don't put any kind of modern modern day oh, yeah. plays on even though the time periods that they're based on could very well have those things oh yes for sure so so yes please go out and check this uh yes please go and check this book out i think it was really well crafted and well done we will be checking out the rest of the series when it comes out definitely yes we will and actually i think it's coming out this month i think yeah it's Holy supposed to come God. out this month sometime Heck it might yeah. even be out because when I uh, uh, uploaded it to my Kindle earlier this week, I saw the second book on Amazon. Well, then. So I was we like, is it? it? On Let's go. Do I do- Let's end this podcast. Let's go. <laughs> and done. All right. Okay. So actually, we are going to end here. We're going to, of course, as we have done in every episode since, what books are you reading? Sorry. As we have done in every episode since, what books are you reading? Starting with Tara. I am currently uh, rereading because we just went through a move. Um, Rolling in the deep. Mm-hmm. I'm also rereading uh, Zombie Fallout, um, which is a Kindle Unlimited that you can also check out on Amazon. 
And of course, Hilary Mantel's uh, bringing up the bodies and Wolf Hall, because those are my personal favorites. I love you, Thomas Cromwell. I have, I have Wolf Hall, but I have not read it. It's a it's really good. Like I've done a lot of you know Elizabethan um, storylines, and uh, the the Thomas Cromwell ones are really well done, and they kind of do really coincide with his biography, which I love, but. That's another book for another podcast. <laughs> there you go. All right, Star. Uh, I'm almost done with Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik. Oh, and I keep hearing a lot about it. It is so good. So it's like a classic fairy tale, but this author in particular is really famous for like twisting it. So it's just enough familiar, but so new that it's it's very fresh. But this one in particular is uh, loosely... Uh, based on Rumpelstiltskin. Okay. So the main character is a young woman who comes from like a family of moneylenders, but her dad is really terrible at it. Like he never goes and collects any of the money that people owe him. So her family's starving. So one day she's like, you know what? Forget this. I'm going to go out and get the money. And it, she's really amazing at being this moneylender. So she gets a reputation for being able to turn silver into gold. And turns out that there are ice elves that live in the woods that really, really like gold. So their king, their grumpy pants king, shows up at her door one day and is like, here's a bunch of silver, turn it to gold or else you die. And she's like, huh. So much much of uh, shenanigans happen. Ah, That does sound really good. That does sound really good. Grumpy pants ice king is so hot. So that helps too. <laughs> a hot rumpel. Of course skin. he is. That's usually not something you see, honestly. <laughs> that is pretty cool. Okay. So I recommend it. All right. Are you reading any others? That's it. That's it? Cool. That's it. Yeah, the books I'm reading, I'm actually reading I I always seem to juggle ten thousand at one time. But I'm reading Helen and Troy's Epic Road Quest by Ailey Martinez, uh, where it's this world where demons and gods and um, mythical figures um, are in this modern day world. It's very much a modern book with with like minotaurs and stuff. In fact, the main character is a minotaur oh. and her name is Helen. <laughs> Again, such interesting plays on our old school type of mythology. Yeah. And yeah. and it's so funny, um, but they end up she almost gets sacrificed to this hamburger hamburger god is what they called it uh because her manager was like i need a sacrifice and you're here so (laughs) (laughs) wow that's pretty bad that prompts them on a quest uh for this hamburger god because uh he had ended up eating the manager and you know he's like okay you two are now on a quest and they're like we don't want to be on a quest he's like too bad (laughs) on a quest (laughs) so it's a very it's a very funny uh book it's very much in in line with the humorous fantasy uh genre so i i'm really loving it so far then i'm also reading this book called killing adam and i'm so sorry i forgot exactly who the author is which is about people trying to take down this super computer kind of thing and then let's see i'm probably reading another book what other book am i reading oh i'm reading infinite jest still by david foster wallace which is this huge dense Thing. That book is so big. It's so big, and the t- font is so teeny, tiny. It's so big, and then I'm still doing. I admire you for that. Oh, thank you. It's oh, 
it's a thing. I, I feel so dumb reading it, though. Like, I feel like I don't know anything ever about anything reading this effing book. And then, I, like, if I talk to people about it, like, they'll be like, oh, yes, I know the history behind this thing and this thing here. And I'm like, I don't know. He's mentioning boobs and I don't like, <laughs> like it. <laughs> That's what this is going down with. And then um, I'm still reading the Spanish version of The Old Man of the Sea and trying to translate it. I'm a horrible translator, guys. I'm just... What? Horrible. Like, I don't know Spanish to save my life. I have to have the dictionary at all times. <laughs> Sympathize. Yes, yes. But uh, yeah, those are the books that I'm reading. All right, well, as always and forever, oh, sorry, but actually, let me start that over. If you like this episode, please leave a comment or you can email us at lostinabookbrb at gmail.com. Um, I'm also on Twitter and I do have a YouTube channel. So if you want to check that out, it's also called The Return Cart, where I ramble on about books as well. As always and forever, though. May you get lost in a book.